from Spearfish, South Dakota. It's the Black Hills Information Security Podcast. This is Security Policy, Fact, Fiction, or Implement the Marquee to Management with C.J. Cox and your host, me, Sierra. So usually we do a podcast version of the webcast and everybody has slides and such and such. This is a super special live podcast recording. So you're welcome. I'm Sierra, if you haven't been here before, and I'm on with CJ. CJ is our awesome COO and head of, we call it business capture because sales, I don't know, why did we call it business capture? Because I hate sales. So the question is, so why are you doing this? Well, one, these are these are areas of my expertise. So I did about 20 years in the uh, the intelligence community with the government government contracting. So I was always up to my armpits in policy. And then why are we doing this? I said, what do you hate us? Do you hate the audience? Is that what you do? Wasn't GDPR bad enough? Um, these are the things that I'm interested in and it plays to my methodology. So Sierra just got to go to this big marketing conference. She learned all these things. And, and did you know that everyone in your company is a brand? So you have to have your own individual brand. So my brand is probably part of an aspect of my brand is the rant. Um, there's things that get me excited and exercise, right? Um, attorneys, GDPR. CJ all, is a naturally passionate person. He gets uh, excited about things that he feels are important. Which should help keep you from falling asleep. So I figure my methodology is a cross between Bobcat, Goldthwait, and Dennis Miller. But think, don't we all just love policy? So we, we did the hands raising for the loving policy, didn't get a lot. You don't <laughs> hate policy. So so why did I, I jump into this? So when, when I got into security, I was a very junior and competent uh, system administrator, had an opportunity to get into security. And so I had to sort of either hate my life or decide that I was going to, if I have to do this, I'm going to do it right. It's kind of that Zen of dishwashing. If you're going to wash dishes, you might as well enjoy the fact that you get them clean. So I try to take things that are they're difficult and distasteful and try to find a way to make them fun. I think a lot of people in pen testing do. Um, they're people that gamify everything. So how do you win at this? And then when we're at the marketing conference here, I was walking around the 16th Street Mall and, and noticing the behavior. In Denver, the 16th Street malls where a lot of very unusual people hang out, as well as it's a lot of shops, big walking mall. And there was somebody just skateboarding through the crowd at like an alarming speed, right? And I just noticed people's behavior sometimes is a little odd. Like, well, how can you tell people like that to stop? How do the police even get to tell them to stop? Well, laws are just our, our policy for the public sphere. If you don't have policy, What's right? What's wrong? Where are you going? What 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 helps you get to your objectives and get the performance and the behavior you want? And it's policy. So I like to say that policy is the foundation of the foundation. I like to point to critical security controls as one of the foundations of security. When we get companies that are small and mid-sized and can't uh, do pen tests, they're like, well, what can we do? I'm like, well, look at your foundations. Look at CSC. And then you notice that if you ever do critical security controls, that policy gets you a long way towards a lot of those objectives because it's what sets your objectives and defines those things. Then I, I told you about my background a little bit. I was in government and I experienced really, really bad policy. When I produced a, a set of documentation for a system, it was in the thousands of pages. 
uh, we would call that shelfware. I know Bob did a great little cast that I actually researched in doing this. Is it a good thing if you've got really comprehensive policy? And the answer is no, it, it isn't always a good thing. Shelfware, things that people can't or don't read. We actually had a policy that said that users had to sign off to get their user agreement that said, I have read and understand the policy. I'm like, really? How many days did you get to do that? <laughs> not, not, not readable, not good. So that was the policy world I came from. Now I'm working in small and working with small and mid-sized businesses. And policy just seems like this necessary evil. And, and it's a real challenge to get. So go back to like the skateboarder, but it's not even necessary to say something to that dude if he's not technically doing anything harmful. But is the policy there maybe in case something happens? They have like, they have a way to go back and be like, yeah, actually, like this was illegal. If he crashes into somebody, if he crashes into a bus, um, <laughs> there were right. people on bikes like cranking down the mall and you're just like, that is not safe. But, but how do you say that you can or can't do that? Policy but I feel policy. like a lot of policy in those instances is basically so that they have like a recourse you know, like you can't sue us if you fall and break your arm because you already weren't supposed to be doing it here. Not getting sued is not a bad outcome of a policy. <laughs> Could be the goal. All right. So I think the necessity of policy, number one, you're required to have it a lot of times by law. You can be required to have it if you go into court, because if you don't have it, you might be negligent. And I think there's evidence that shows that that policy might lead to better security outcomes. Although I'm a little dubious on that, how that works. We'll talk about that a little later. But the first thing I wanted to get to was some resources. So what do you do? So you're a small company, you're a mid-sized company, even if you're a big company, like how much time do you want to spend doing this? Um, my attitude has always been steal it slash borrow it, sample it for the younger generation. I'm just sampling a little vanilla ice stealing from, uh, you know, Take things that have worked for other people. Don't create it from scratch. My One of my favorite resources, and probably everyone here is probably hip to it, is the SANS Pology page, right? Hip to it? It's going to cost you free 99. <laughs> well, I just talked about sampling. I got to get into music and be kind of cool, you know? <laughs> okay, CJ. <laughs> All right. So SANS is great. Um, I borrow from anyone that I can. I, you know, scour the internet for it. Um, one of the early resources I got was a book by a guy named Charles Cresson Wood. I guess it is the Bible on policy. Um, it's up to version 10 now. It's a, it's a nice book. I remember my boss buying it from me. He's a great guy. Jim Parker got me into security by saying, you should get your CISSP and come work for me. That was one thing he gave me. The other one was the chair I'm sitting in, which when the, the group broke up, he let me keep my chair. The third thing was this, at the time, I think it was a $600 book. Now that version 10 now costs $990. Pretty hefty price tag for something like that. But I saw that version eight, you can get for $9. So anyway, I call that the book of wood. And I have a quote from that because I think it sums up some things that are pretty interesting about it. So this is from the description on the author and it says, he is noted for his ability to integrate competing objectives like ease of use, speed, flexibility, and security in customized and practical compromises that are acceptable to all parties involved. Acknowledging that information security is multidisciplinary, multidepartmental, and often multi-organizational. He is additionally noted for his ability to synthesize 
a large number of complex considerations and then document these in security architectures, requirements, assessments, project plans, policy statements, and other clear and action-oriented documents. So that's a great, these are truths that we all know, everyone here is pretty experienced crew. We know how multidisciplinary this thing is, how many, how many different balls and competing things are involved. And, and the, the worst thing you can be in security is Dr. No, right? The person that just says no, or the, the, the jackbooted thug that's imposing their will on everyone. You've got to be balanced on this. So Well, Bob has a good point for that. And he says, what do you prefer? A policy that speaks to the positive or a policy that speaks to the negative? Sort of like whitelisting versus blacklisting. I guess my answer is whatever's needed to work, because I think there's room for carrots, sticks, positive policies, negative policies. It's really dependent. And it's hard to say in an environment. Um, because an environment at like Northrop Grumman or a major law firm is way different than a than a, a small development company. So you've got to tailor it, and it's got to be effective. So um, exactly how you do that is kind of up in the air. What's going to work, and you should monitor that as well. Oh, he agrees. Ahead. So thanks for confirming. Thank you, Bob. Ah, see, there's never one. There's never just one method, and I hate it when people do that. We've been looking at sort of a paired programming kind of methodology or pen testers working together. Um, and we had testers who just reacted vehemently. I, I did paired programming and it was the worst because one guy typed and one guy watched. You know, and I'm like, well, so there's never a right solution for every problem. You know, it's not, if you got a hammer, everything is not a nail. You still need <laughs> screwdrivers and, and socket wrenches. So um, I hate that this is the way you do everything. It's always context matters. And if you let go of that, then you're just being dogmatic and silly, really. I think I have a quote, quote somewhere here, foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. It's one of my favorite quotes. I can't find out who really said it. Some people said Winston Churchill, but I hate it when people just take one thing and then they just play on that. And that's what they're going to stick with no matter what. And I think that's crazy. why people, ultimately, I think that's why people hate policy because they're so used to being beat over the head with it. Yeah, and, and policy's got that aspect. Um, Jordan said it earlier, if it doesn't have teeth, it might not be effective. In the bottom line to every policy, look at HR policy, penalties up to and including termination. People don't like to be threatened. People will ignore policy that has no teeth and never gets followed. And we all have a ton of that policy sitting around on our shelves, I'm sure, that, that you just don't enforce. So the question is, don't let that sit there. Get rid of it if it's bad policy. It's like bad law. It just, prohibition, it created disdain for the law. It has an, a net externality effect that, that it happens. And the same is true for policy. So let's be careful out there. I actually found some data in a pretty cool presentation I was looking at. They had a survey that shows that policy reduces breach occurrence. And that just kind of made me pause like, really? Like, what does that survey look like? And this thing had numbers, right? And I always love when they get specific numbers. 19 to 46% reduction in, in breaches. And if you have full policies, it's a 57 to 93% reduction. I'm like, was it 93 or was it 93.2? Because I, I'm sure they could get more precise on it. And what was the definition of full policy? And what was the definition of breach? I mean, these kinds of studies are crazy. But, CJ, but, CJ, CJ, you cannot lie with statistics. Oh, <laughs> uh, statistics don't <laughs> lie, but liars use statistics, and I minored in statistics. So da, 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 done. 
but it does intuitively make sense, right? It, it's kind of like goals. You can achieve goals without writing them down. But objectively, I think they've found that people who do write them down, who have them specific, who can make them stick, they'll do better. That doesn't mean that there's not geniuses out there who've never written down a goal, John Strand, and, and, and achieve wildly, right? Because those people have very bizarre minds. But for the rest of us, we probably ought to work in the bell curve section, go with the percentages, and maybe write our, these policies down in an effective way. So. Uh, so let's get to some of the nuts and bolts. So my first point that I wanted to really hit on is policies, procedures, standards, and guidelines. What's the difference? Because I think there's a very clear distinction there, and I tend to go with the very modular approach. I like to keep them separate. Procedures. So policy, procedures, standards, guidelines. Yep. Okay. Policy is your statements of what should be happening. Um, and we'll get a little more into that. Procedures are those things you do. It's how do you create a user account? How do you background check someone? What's, what's your incident response procedures? Those things are very specific, probably change a lot. Your policies are higher level. You've got different standards and baselines. Critical security controls, that's a standard. CIS has tons of standards for, for configuration of systems. You've got the NIST standards for, for password. You can refer to those things in your policies and in your procedures, you know, that we will follow this standard. We penetration test according to OWASP, right? Those are sort of standards that have been created. Guidelines are other, you know, third-party documents that you can point to that give you maybe the gist of where you're going. Rather than policy, it gives you a lot of good ideas that you, you want to, to promote. So I like to keep those things separate. Otherwise, your policies are going to have to change frequently. You get a new piece of technology in, your procedures are going to change. You don't want to have a lot of words in your policy. So if you can refer to a standard or a guideline, go ahead and use that. That standard and guideline is built by a lot of people. It's a great resource, um, keeps you up to date, and keeps it out of your policy. It's something everyone can agree on. So in, in developing these, I'd like to go with divide and conquer, right? It's the old eating an elephant idea that you can't eat it all at one time. So you got to divvy it up, get the things that are most important. Um, I found a cool slide uh, showed deck. And again, I you didn't... keep referencing slides. <laughs> well, I found something I cool, but I'm not going to show it to you guys. Oh, I'll send it out. <laughs> Email me. I'll send it out to you. Ask us for it. Um, it's just, you know, when you go out and Google it, you find cool ideas. And that's what I did. I don't have the corner on all knowledge. So I went out and, and looked at some different things. And, and I never thought of it, of having your policy set up in a framework. So having sort of buckets of policies and categories of policies, and then you can prioritize those and work up. So you work on them kind of one at a time, what's most important. And I call it framework, or you put it in buckets or containers. So that's how you sort of clump like ideas to together, like ideas with like, and tackle them a little bit at a time. Like to keep it simple and grow it. So most people, when you go to a Northrop Grumman, you inherit stacks of policy and stuff that you've got to tweak and change. In small and mid-sized businesses, I've talked to a lot of them where we don't have policy. I send them that SANS policy page and say, steal what they've got. If something doesn't make sense, strike it out, but build it on that and start with the most simple things that you can. So to go back to this framework idea, what they had, they had layers, right? So they had just in a simple model, three layers. The first layer of, pol of policy was dealing with system security. So how are you going to secure your servers? How are you going to secure your VPN? Then the, another one would be data security, which I really like 
the idea of data security. I, I saw Eric Cole had a rant the other day on Twitter because Sierra made me start doing Twitter. But <laughs> Eric Cole had this great thing about people just don't know what data they're talking about, how it's exposed to the external world, but they haven't defined their data. And a data security policy is gonna talk about what's important in your data and what's the overarching concerns around that. So many customers we talk to, they don't know what the keys to the kingdom is in, in their data. They haven't even thought about it. Or when they're looking at GDPR, where does our data go? What third parties does it, do we know? They haven't created a, um, a data flow for that critical data, for PII data, for all the different types of data they have. So a data policy would identify those things. And maybe it says, you have to create a simple flow chart that shows you where that data should be going and where it can't go. Those are powerful ideas that allow you to sort of create a model and then do security controls more effectively because you've made it explicit. You've put it on paper where it's not just in the security guy's head or somebody on the security team's head. You can share it with other people. That's the power of it. This layer one, I'm I'm trying to like keep track of where we are. Mm -hmm. This layer one is policy then? Layers of policy, right? These are the buckets or categories or policies you create first. Okay, so these are like the most important things. Foundational, they're a bit okay. foundational and we'll work our way up the stack. So then other ones would be maybe account management, passwords. So these are things where we talk about where things frequently go wrong in security and you need policy around them. So that's another place to look when you're creating policy, you're saying, what should I do first? Um, Check out the latest incidents you've had as a business. What was the last incident you have? Do you had, did you have policy that covered it? Was the policy effective, ineffective? Because that's, that's where you take a look at, that's where you need to build where the problems are. You can be proactive and look past that, certainly, but the great place to start is just what's happened or what's happening to people in the news, right? right. Use well, other people as an example. Chris brings up a good point. Like, how do you answer your organizational leadership when they say, do we even have critical data? <laughs> so, so defining that is like a great place to start because if people don't realize that they even have that sensitive data, like you just, you mentioned that, then it is hard for them to understand that this late, this first layer is even gonna be foundational. Why do you need it? But that, that's not, I mean, you know, questions are great. And, and people say there should be no stupid questions. And if management's asking that, you've got to be able to make the case. Can you knock that one out of the park? Maybe you're not that clear on it either, but you should be able to make that case. And it's so easy to go to the news anymore and say, well, say you have a European presence, uh, is 4% of your gross, is that very important to you? Because that's, that's what you could be fined. So <laughs> I don't know if it's important or not, boss, you tell me. Um, <laughs> You've got to develop that that influence with management. And Sierra, have a, we have a topic coming. Management is not stupid. Um, they're not. And, and you've got to be able to talk their language and push their buttons and understand. John always points to what management is looking for from you is levers that they can pull and push to influence behavior and outcomes. And so if you're not giving them language and policy that helps them commit that, then you're not on their team, so to speak. So um, those are key things. So we kind of walked through a layer one, and this is just a model to, to throw out there for you guys. The next layer, layer two, I would put in there training personnel. CJ is going so super fast. Can we pause for a second? And and, acceptable and... usage. I'll stop now.
Okay, so so like we're just going to back up a little bit um, and go through some of these comments because they're pretty good and I don't want to miss awesome. them before we move on. I love um, but Rich pointed out that for him, using examples from the news has been super effective at getting management to pay attention. And I think it goes back to that like education where they don't necessarily, they need to understand that there's risks and good examples in the news are great incentivizers. And I think even just, you know, like the Equifax thing and the Target stuff and all the major breaches that end up in the news are great learning tools for the general public and the business and management encompass the general public. So yeah, so use the news. We had a law firm that pulled us in because the, I don't know if everyone saw that DL Piper had its big breach and DL Piper, I think they're a DC law firm, but they ended up with just this terrible publicity thing where there was a picture of the, the elevator going up saying, you know, IT is down, go home. And is on this little white place. <laughs> and that was the message. The Washington Post took a picture and post that up. And not to mention the fact that DL Piper um, is a major uh, cybersecurity type firm and, and they got burned. So this customer we had was like, their management took that, seeing that and saying, we don't want to be those guys. So that is a tremendously powerful motivator to use uh, with management. Scott said, I work for a law firm. All other law firms make fun of DL Piper. Oh, sad. <laughs> it's not very fair though. It's like Target, right? Target got just obliterated. But we happen to know people at both those places, not because we worked with them, we just happened to know those, you know, we've associated with people and we talked to them. And those are companies that were doing a lot of things right, a lot of things right. And sometimes no matter how hard you're trying. Because if they're gonna get you, they're gonna get you. So it's, yeah, it's hard. Jacob says, do you find a well-defined policy can help with the usual throw money at a blinking box mentality? So many mm -hmm. C-level management members try to drive for, hashtag unicorn box. Management <laughs> is looking for this. His yeah. easy button. Nothing's going to stop them from trying to hit that easy button, believing that money's going to stop it. Again, the only way for you to get that is to get influence with them, to, to have educated them and show them a penetration test helps them see that it's not just one thing. It's a combination of factors that result in a breach and that no single layer of security, the silver bullet methodology, it, it doesn't work. It's been disproven. They know that it doesn't work in the financial realm but they assume in IT there is a magic button somewhere. If you just push it. <laughs> well, isn't that all that they do in the basement down there is just push buttons? <laughs> yes, Clark. Moss introduces Jen to the internet. Oh, so awesome. So yeah, Jordan pointed out, so your layer one was system security, data security, account management, passwords. Jordan pointed out that from a pen tester perspective, no policy is more important than passwords and for him right. also multi-factor usage. And that's that's why I put those down there. Those like passwords is something we beat on constantly. Like if you guys, well, two-factor authentication, please do this. So if that's really the, that important, that should be one of the first and best policies you've got. So, and that's this whole layering thing is just kind of, and this is just an example, create your own, go out and look it up. You'll find slides on it and steal from those for what makes sense for you, because even what policies we have, I'm working with a customer right now that has 39 policies. You're like, is that too many? I don't know, it depends on your environment in hospitals, law firms, things like that. For Black Hills, 
that's probably too many policies. For a bigger organization, maybe not. And my idea, again, is it's better to have small, distinct, modular policies that are for a single issue than to have one big policy that covers six or seven topics because people get lost. They want to go where they can get the answer and get it now. That's going to facilitate. It's going to remove the friction for people understanding policy. So we're going to talk about that. All right, let's move to layer two. So layer two is, again, these are just an example. Put your training, your personnel security, and your acceptable usage. I might put acceptable usage in layer one, but again, this is just sort of an idea for like what buckets are you going to put in to chunk this problem up and, and take it on. Layer three, you throw higher level things, incident response and assessment, a policy on when you're going to pen test or how you do vulner how and when you do vulnerability scans. Things that aren't in here and maybe it would be in your system security is patch or maybe you have a separate policy on patching that tells you things like we're going to patch in accordance with this guideline or we have this long a time frame to implement critical highs, mediums, and lows. So you, you have a policy that says what you do, and then you support it with your, what's your patching procedure? How do you do it? How often do you do it? That's in the policy. So for each box within this that we talked about in layer three, the incident response box, you're gonna create a policy on incident response. You're gonna have standards or guidelines you maybe point to with that, and you're gonna have procedures. So those procedures, again, are pretty dynamic. They're changing. You got a new piece of technology. You just read about a new methodology for attacking uh, ransomware or preventing ransomware, your backup policies, things like that. Those are your procedures. They change with the technology. Your policy is those high level goals and, and objectives. And the, we'll get into this later, I think, but the who, what, where, when, why, you answer all those questions. The procedures are going to be that how. That's how you logically and simply break it up. Remember, we're always trying to digest this down, take it out of the realm of PhD and master's level of <laughs> policies. You first start with research. Try to make it very simple. So I'll pause and let you pick out some questions there, Sarah. Well, Bronwyn has one. Do you feel that policies should be agile and ever evolving in order to be effective? Yes, absolutely. It's not the 10 commandments. There's some basic things down there. There's probably things in your policy that are unchanging. But what's your password policy say? Maybe your policy points to the NIST standards and you'll keep up that way. But a lot of people's password policy is going to say, how long is it? And we know that everyone's policy says eight characters. Awesome. <laughs> eight characters. 1997 call. They'd like their policy revoked. I thought it was like 1985. Yeah, I thought maybe. it was like from the It goes the back 80s. A, a long way, back to AOL. I get confused and addled in my old age. 80s, 90s, to him it all seems the same. It's very similar. <laughs> Back when I was young, we didn't have policy. We had <laughs> tablets chiseled in stone. We liked it that way. Uh, it's good to change. The times change, technology changes, everything is changing. Policy has to sort of keep up with that. No question. And most places will tell you that you need to revisit policies periodically. I would say annually. You either look at the policy, review it, and you say, good to go, nothing we need to change here, nothing to see, or, oh my God, the terrain has changed massively. We need to address this, or a new policy that comes up. You used to not have to have a cell phone or a, a, a bring your own device policy. Wasn't a factor. Yeah, when I was young. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have these cell phones. <laughs> you kids, get off my lawn. Jacob says acceptable use policy should be equal stop clicking stuff. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> and your training policy ought to say that you're going to get training about that. And your, and, and your 
continuous monitoring policy is probably going to say you fish people constantly to monitor that and measure the success of that. Is that policy being followed or not? So many pieces start mashing together. It's awesome. Get off my land, says Jacob. <laughs> um, Raphael has a comment. CIS CSC version 7 is the place to start using the audit script tools and the CSC is a structure approach to develop policies, procedure, and standards. Abs it's got great stuff. And uh, Josh Thomas, who left us, he did Josh. a great CSC. <laughs> um, he did actually sort of two iterations with a customer and they scored pretty poorly on their first iteration. The second iteration, they, they made some progress on technical controls, but they had policies in place. He's like, they doubled their score by having the policies. Those controls are great things to get codified in the policy to mandate their use because you've now set what's required. Why does the organization have to do this? Well, we've got policies that, that identify it and the other groups and parts of the organization can see it because the policy's documented. You guys are trying to maybe follow CSC, but who's to say that we have to pay any attention to that? Or who said that that's the standard? The policy establishes it as your standard. It's great. Yeah, it's just a good target. Nels had a question, and it's from like a little bit ago, but how do you avoid the paralysis when you assume that all data can be combined into something useful? How do you avoid paralysis when coming up with policy? Hmm. If it's not obvious to you, then you probably can't get it into policy. I can tell you the military and the intelligence community dealt with that, how data can combine. Um, so when you're defining, you don't set, the, you can list examples, right? It's kind of like the Supreme Court's definition of porn. I'm not sure, but I'll tell you when I see it. Um, but you can give examples of sensitive data and outline certain categories and define what that means. And the military always had that, the difference between secret and top secret is causing grave danger to the grave hazard or grave damage to the organization. So it's not bad to work those kinds of things into the policy because you're kind of trying to define some things that are a little amorphous. You're struggling with it. So imagine the user, at least if you go through the struggle, you've created a clearer picture that if it doesn't get the, the, the user to share your definition, it at least moves them in the right direction. And that's going to be helpful. Well, and I think without seeming legalistic and like dogmatic, you know, going back to your skateboarder example, the reason that it's illegal is because it's potentially dangerous for the person skateboarding, all the people walking, the fact that it's a crowded public area. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously that they don't want to get sued, but like even back before being sued, like it's a dangerous place to be skateboarding. So it and seems like that stop. maybe goes without saying. But that's the reason for policy is that like we're trying to like what is the bigger overarching picture of the policy? Why, you know, if we don't say that passwords need to be 30 characters, a lot of people don't know that it's dangerous to have a five character password. Don't go with the minimum. Yep. Um, Jacob has one more question, then we'll go on. Are there good write-ups or sources to translate policy to auditor speak? The better I can communicate that to them, the less of my time will be wasted saying the same five things different mm -hmm. ways. <laughs> so auditors are exceedingly legalistic, right? Oh. And so that kind of argues with your being useful to your users. But maybe you have policies that are just tailored towards the auditor. I'm going to talk about sort of the format. Um, but certain policies are tailored towards your users and need to be written for them. Others are tailored towards your auditors. 
And the way to write an auditing policy, like how to comply with PCI, you look through the PCI for the requirements, the shalls, and you echo that in your policy. I have to play the, the attorney at Black Hills Information Security because I do all <laughs> the contract review and negotiation. And so I'm very much a layman, but I take a very plain approach that I try to make things very simple, even in legalistic. And the way we lawyers write some of this stuff is just untenable. I had a bullet I was going to talk about later, but I'll bring it up here. What's wrong with bullets? Bulletizing your policy, um, making it very simple. I find that very effective when it's easy to understand. It makes it easier to digest and detect that these are, you're nesting the bullets. And so this is a sub piece of that. It helps someone grasp it and understand it. So if you've got auditors and they're going to look at a policy, you've got to get the language they're looking for in there. And then if they say, but you could say it three other ways, you're like, but I said it this way. And <laughs> they know that you had it addressed. It's like, well, you, right. could, uh, you could add several, you could add several paragraphs to that bullet and make it much better. You're like, thank you. Yeah, we'll talk to you next time. Mark says, yes, we're not writing the next great novel. Agreed. <laughs> it's, it's, it's policy. It's policy. <laughs> yeah, I got a thing here to, to we'll talk about that in just one second. So some guidance. So I read a very wise man named Bob who wrote an article called Policium Concisium, Advice on Writing a Security Policy. And the Latin gets you in that realm and we've talked about it a couple of times. And he had a quote in there that I'll paraphrase. The great curse of comprehensive policy is that they are only used when something goes wrong. The battle cry of, did you follow the policy is usually met with the following response. What, what policy? policy? <laughs> Now, I know Bob is a wise person because he's been in Greece, so I'm pretty sure he's a philosopher. Um, yeah. So he was just vacationing there, and he also happened to be attending this web podcast. So. so that is just, to me, one of the most critical things. And Einstein had a great quote as well. Everything should be as simple as possible, but not simpler, right? That's keep it short, clear, and concise. And the foolish consistency comes in again. If you keep everything too short, people really don't understand it. But short and clear is critical. And any of you that have ever written anything, a speech, a talk, it's so hard to get your, your language to be effective. And you've got to put a ton of work in it. And if, we, if we're saying we don't like it, we're probably not going to accomplish that. But when I point to things like that, I say, how about the Ten Commandments? Pretty short and concise, right? And written on stone tablets. Um, <laughs> but those are examples. That's a pretty good policy, right? Those and Bronwyn, that's the underlying uh, policy for the rest of your policies. First, follow the Ten Commandments. Don't steal. Good call. Don't um, murder anyone. <laughs> don't kill. Advice. Don't covet. There's a lot of great, great underlying policy. That is a great policy document right there. The Constitution of the United States, a little bit longer, but look how it's written and look what it covers. You know, that's an example. A little flowery, probably for those of us in information security, but effective. Then we go to the government. How about the Federal Acquisition Register, right? Interestingly, the Wood Bible that I was talking about, Charles Crescent Wood's book, uh, $990, the FAR, $2.08, 2,017 pages. It's filled with policies, procedures, and acquisition, and no one can read that. It takes a team of lawyers to understand it. It's an example of just horrifying policy, and it covers <laughs> everything. Everything in the world, and soon even more, coming to a medical facility near you. I said we didn't talk about policy or government, but I lied. <laughs> P 
Peter says you have to vote to find out what's in it. Ooh. <laughs> That's a good policy. I have a policy document right here. Guess what's in it? You just broke it. Couple other guidance items I want to key in on just loosely, but are your policies enforceable? Go back to Jordan's comment from earlier. And are they measurable? Do they create a measurable effect? They don't all have to be that. Realize that sometimes the policy is just in there to keep you from being sued. But for the important ones, like are users using the same password over and over? How do you find out about that? Is there a technical way of, of doing that to enforce that and follow that? Um, these are things you want to consider and think through. So the next section I want to get into is process. So here's CJ's simplified process. Your first thing, and we talked about it with the framework, you're going to set your priorities. Are you starting from scratch? Then the world is your oyster and you get to really say, what's, what's impacting us the most? What do I see is the most important? Again, we talked about this a little earlier, but look at your incident record. What's been happening? What things raised your hackles or what incidents have you had? Good key that your policies and procedures are ineffective or you don't have them. Um, so get those priorities set. Here's where we come to management and user buy-in, right? Um, management is not stupid and neither are the users. Um, we all love Dilbert and Dilbert pokes fun at both those things, but those people have different problem sets, different backgrounds and, and things, and we've got to consider them both how they understand it, what's important to them from a policy perspective. And so you want, just like Black Hills philosophy, you want to be very collaborative. The more you can bring people in and engage them in developing them. We do this with customers when we're talking password. We always get into a debate about whether if you go to uh, 16 character or 24 character passwords, can you eliminate complexity? You want to address the questions and get people's things considered and, and developed in and management. What are their priorities? You know, have you convinced them? If you haven't, then maybe you're going to hold off on developing or implementing a policy until you've developed the support so that it's an effective policy. So get people, create user groups, get that buy-in, have boards do review the same way where users get to review them, where the IT group, that's a key group if security and IT are separate, and most organizations that's the case. Don't just try and stampede over the top of IT. Get them in there and get them to, to weigh in. Well, and that goes to like general management is like if you empower people to be involved and like say like, hey, what's your input? Then like, all those different departments are a lot more likely to say, oh, yeah, this is value. We get to have some say in what happens. Right. It's So problems are often just a communication issue and not understanding where somebody else is coming from. And that's where you collaborate, get, get in their skin, figure it out. Try to get to, you're never going to get to everyone agrees, but you should get as close as you can. Again, do the best job you can. And you don't have unlimited time on this. So perfection is the enemy of the good. Well, you're never going to have time to get even close. <laughs> no. Get as close as you can. This kind of brings up a question that Nick brought up, which I think is, well, it's kind of a comment. How do you combat the idea of implementing policy being a good thing? The place where I work dislikes the idea of even having policies since they are concerned that it will harm the culture of our company. The idea is fought nearly all the way up the chain. Enforcement is the other problem, but that's a path for another day. Yeah. Yes. Free love. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, we don't need that kind of structure around here. Um, I often ask an organization like that, and we've dealt with a few, do you have HR policies? 
And almost yeah, always maybe. the answer is yes. HR policies Christmas style. <laughs> yeah, they do. I know. I was an HR free zone for a long time until I met Sierra. Oh, CJ, CJ. <laughs> <laughs> she took me away from all that. Now I have HR policy. <laughs> But they do have HR policies. Why? Because it's going to prevent lawsuits. It's going to prevent very bad things from happening. And again, you probably don't want my government style 2000 pages of policy, but you do need some basic things. What are you allowed to do and not allowed to do? Can I use, can I use my, can I connect to email and internet from Starbucks with no VPN? Why can't I? We're a free love. We share our intellectual property with everybody all the time, everywhere. Maybe you're working in an open source do. foundation and it flies. It's, it's possible. Don't do policies because everyone else does them. Do them because they make sense for your organization and make them fit the culture down to the language. Make them funny if you're at Black Hills Information Security. <laughs> Put jokes in there so that people read for the jokes. And Charles is working at the other kind of company where he has mm. 2,000 pages that tell him exactly what he can and cannot do every day. And I think that's where the the smaller company that's like terrified of having any policy, they're afraid to turn into that. But there's a ditch on either side of the road, kids. That's right. Extreme. <laughs> so... Yeah. And being effective is about finding the right amount. <laughs> and, and I can tell you that feel for Charles, it's like, yeah, the government, it's shelfware. And so what do you do in that situation? Because we had a system security plan that was no doubt just the security plan, a couple hundred pages, right? And it says they've read the system security plan. So my user briefing that they had to sign for their user agreement hit all the high points. And I tried to do it entertaining and in a rant. Um, and make people pay attention. Rant. <laughs> then, they're, then they're signing off on the policy and I say, look, I hit the high points. You want to read the system security plan? Go get it. Absolutely. It's available. I encourage you to, but that's more of a reference. So you've got to find a way to get that policy to people. So training is that method. So, all right. So in setting the priorities I talked about, incorporate other people. You want to get support for your policy. You don't want it unsupported. If you're in an organization that really rejects policy, don't try to come up with 39 policies. You've got to have the user support and, and you've got to do it the right way. And you've got to have management support. There's a lot of constituencies and stakeholders involved and you need to balance those competing priorities and get to a good solution. So, but do get your policy started, get a stake in the ground, just get going, right? Set it as a goal or to revise them, to review them. And which, what's the worst policy? Again, listen to users, listen to IT shop, listen to management. Where are they complaining? Put your next focus on that. So next I wanna talk about format, but before I go on to that, are there any questions or comments? Nick was like, well, I'd like to say that we're run by hippies, but I don't think that's the case. But I think that it really comes back again with policy to like helping people understand that there can be more freedom if there's some boundaries in in almost every aspect of being a human being, like from relationships to work. And really, policy is a, a matter of boundaries. There's no game without rules. No, there's no part of our life that doesn't have boundaries. And sometimes those boundaries are really restrictive and constrictive, but usually they also make our lives healthier. There's no relationship without boundaries. There's no, you can't have a job if you don't have some boundaries. Yeah, 
Things so, are functional. So, but like I said, gamify it. At least try to make it fun and interesting and effective. So I want to talk real quick. We're starting to run out of time, and this is a pretty important section on format. So I've seen a few. The SANS policy webpage has a decent format. I don't like to answer questions and things twice, but there's a number of formats out there. Crescent Wood has one that I think is a little overkill, but it's decent. But you want an introduction to your policy. Um, what's the purpose? It's a quick definition, quick read. What is this thing about? And I'm doing a policy review right now, and, and that's where I highlight the keywords. Are those keywords in there that I can quickly understand what this is? Because remember, users, have they don't have a lot of time. They don't have a lot of interest. So make it quick and easy for them. Keep it short and concise, like the Book of Bob would say. And then... <laughs> <laughs> and then make it nice and clear and easy to, and if you have the standard organization, it makes it easier to read, right? You've got a standard. The next one would be scope. What are the boundary areas? What's the subject matter of this? What does it apply to? What does it not apply to? Maybe what doesn't, this doesn't pertain to. Customer data, this appears to our internal data. Have your policy outline this in these sections. And then roles. This is the who question. Who has to follow this? What are the differences for different groups? So password policy for users and privilege users are going to be distinctly different, hopefully. Stronger, right? <laughs> so those roles are key, and that's a place where people can get to right to it. Does this apply to me? Is this something I need to worry about? I work at the help desk. Oh, this one, this one applies to the, the help desk. Oh, and there's two stars. Great. Definitions, define your terms. In, in defining terms, stay away from acronyms. I think I used a couple acronyms already today. I, I yeah, but it. that's because you're in the military and the military loves acronyms. <laughs> and I'm out of the military <laughs> and I hated it. I have, there's one acronym that, that, that is important, AFS. I can't even remember what that's for now. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Great, just blew my joke, awesome. Oh, <laughs> The only good acronym I knew in the military was DEFCON. And notice it wasn't DC for direct current. It was defense condition, right? And I probably just botched that one too. So, so your policy section. So after definition, you got your policy section. You do your what, where, when, and how. Be clear with those. Answer those questions and just answer those questions. And then I get going, is there a problem with bullets? Break it up. <laughs> Make it easy to read. It should be at a pretty low level. All your users have to read it. So don't go all legalistic. Write it for the auditors. You may have to address the auditors in there, but try to keep it simple. Then the next section I'd have is a version section, which would show the, the dates and the, the versions you did, um, just because that might become important in a law case, right? Well, when did this policy change, counselor? Um, that oh. should be documented clearly in there. And then yeah, that, that's it for the format section. So interested in anybody has any points or any questions or anything around the format? Jacob has a question. For version control, who is the best owner to assign? Uh, so that's part of like uh, the customer I'm working with now has a policy on policy. It's kind of like having a meeting to establish a meeting. But it was actually <laughs> a, a very good policy. It set the roles and responsibilities and defined them. So who owns them? So security owned them, right? Security was responsible for drafting them. They had a group, a policy review group, and they would have their CIO sign off on their policies. So you need to define all that for sure. Get into the holy war to where security belongs to. Does they belong in audit? Do they belong in legal? Do they belong in IT? Oof, oof. All right, we got four minutes left. Let's wrap it up. All right. So in order to make this happen, 
you've, you've got to start with your own objectives and goals on getting this to happen. My, my idea is to track everything, keep everything simple and organized. If you're disorganized, if you haven't set priorities, you'll flounder, it's too hard to work with, you'll ignore it, you'll go do something easy or something you like to do more. I generally come up with, the first thing you have is just a list of policies you think you need. Then I usually create a matrix for, is this in its first draft, second draft, approval? I keep everything organized so it's easy for me to tell where I am and where I wanna go next and how I prioritize it. So the other thing is, is get the policies organized for your users. Get them in one place where they can find them. Get them posted to a web page or a wiki where it's easy to get them. So when they want to refer to it, they know where that is. BHIS, we established a wiki. Sometimes we don't link it up very well, but if, if you can't find it, if you don't know where it is, whatever, you CJ, we're perfect. In the machine. We are perfect. <laughs> we're chaotic. We're beyond but, reproach. Right. <laughs> Um, so I think that organization and just getting underway with it and setting it as an objective and putting some time to it, don't let the tail wag the dog. It's policy. Um, it's important, but there's lots of important things. You've got to balance it all. So. All right. And in conclusion. Make it a priority. It is important. It's foundational to your foundational controls. We're all pretty hyped about controls. That's the area I love the most. Um, but you do need policy around those to even establish those. So it's a foundational thing. Try and make it at least fun and interesting or at least good if you can't get it to that. You know, minimize the short. pain. Minimize the pain, yeah. Have a vision and a plan. Get organized, move that forward. Use best practice, steal it. If you can find anyone that'll read your policy, talk to you about policy, Bob will help you, right? You can bounce it off. I've talked to Giovanni who's out there. There's lots of people, find peers, get the IT group to help you, come to a good solution by getting a lot of solutions into the hat and getting the best ones. Be effective, keep them short, keep them concise, keep them organized, keep them fresh. Keep it alive and dynamic. You can't just let them sit there and, and languish. If a policy's OBE, pull it out, get rid Sorry, of the Sorry, what does OBE mean? Overcome by events. I hate acronyms, AFS. <laughs> acronyms freaking stink. Thanks for joining us on the BHIS podcast. Questions, comments, email me, Sierra at bhis.co. Are you enjoying these podcasts? We'd love if you'd leave us a review and tell a friend. See you again next time. Every time I say you're welcome, I, I think of Ken singing Moana.